This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Black Black, 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 What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. Bill C-11. If you ask the Trudeau government what Bill C-11 is intended for, he would say something to the effect of to protect Canadian content producers and to help fund the Canadian art grant programs that are spread across mostly Ontario and Quebec in the Maritimes. It sounds, uh, if you get the elevator pitch, it might even sound like a good idea. But to people on both sides of the political spectrum in Canada, people who are experts in digital media, people who are taking a look at this bill, whether they are people in the industry or my next guest today, there is there are deep concerns about what this bill can do for censorship, what this bill will do to user-generated content, and what this bill might do to free speech. So with us today to talk about all of these and more, we have Senator Leo Husakos. Senator, sir, how are you today? Great, James. Good to be on your show. Thank you for uh, having me on. Thank you for coming. How off or how accurate am I when I describe this bill as something that could be Orwellian, but I am honestly not sure how to feel about it because of how little the government has done to explain to me what this might do to people like myself, the independent content producers, or just in general to user-generated content in Canada. What is it that the government is is not doing correctly in how they're explaining this bill? And what do you think their motivation is for not being specific? Well, I'm not, I won't say that uh, you know, they're not explaining the bill properly. I think they're explaining the bill very properly. And those of us that are starting to pay more and more attention are getting red flags that are that are being raised all over the place uh, on many of the subject matter you just touched upon in your introduction. Um, the Broadcasting Act in this country is something that has been amended very, very rarely. Um, maybe a couple of times back in the early 80s and in the mid early 90s. And the government says now they're amending the act one more time in order to create an equal playing field with streamers and the digital platforms. And we keep hearing how they need to protect Canadian content and Canadian arts and culture, where I start asking some basic questions. What are we protecting our artists and our Canadian culture from? In 2022, we live in a global community. We live in a place where we have so many new platforms that 
offer our cultural community and artists an opportunity to expose our arts and culture and, and Canadian content to all over the place, all over the world. And I don't think we have any any shortcomings as a, as a people to compete. Uh, I'm sure you have followers from all over the world, James, that listen to your show, if they find your show to be interesting and relevant. And at the end of the day, I think that is extremely important. So the government has said we're doing this to create an equal playing field. I don't necessarily see the, the, the equal, the field being imbalanced right now, except for legacy platforms and legacy media that are becoming outdated. They're losing more and more eyeballs to competition, like people uh, who are doing what you're doing on your platform and so many more. And I see the government attempting to protect them more than anything else. In a nutshell, I see a government trying to create a reform where they take modern platform of broadcasting back to the archaic period of cable, instead of actually bringing our cable providers and, and broadcasters, which through protectionism, legislation, the CRTC, through 40, 50 years of regulation, we've given them an imbalance and an advantage. Now it's time for them and they're feeling competition from platforms they can't control. And the government wants to essentially control what we see, what you post, and what people hear. And we we just came out of a couple of years where there's been sort of the curtain or the veil has been lifted off of big tech in one specific way. And that is how they manipulate users and user behavior via the algorithms. Why am I not hearing more politicians, um, you know, take a stance when it comes to um, how algorithms are actually just intrusive mechanisms. I, I, when I go to Twitter now, when I go to my homepage on Twitter, the newsfeed, I just go to latest tweets because I don't want Twitter telling me what I should be looking at. And I notice that when I do let them, it's like the same five people. And you know, it's, it's not interesting to me. It almost feels like we're being condescended or, or, you know, that these companies are being paternalistic, but then we find out it's because they profit off of these algorithms by not giving us choice. I, I think you nailed it when you said that we're going back to the archaic principles of cable. And you would probably agree that the CRTC especially is one of those um, issues that has uh, a, a staunch conservative opinion about what that organization does and a staunch progressive opinion. As a person who's apolitical, I feel very conservative when I say, I kind of feel like we should just abolish the CRTC. <laughs> that, that is where uh, my position is now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's it's interesting how the CRTC is an archaic body trying to decide winners and losers instead of making sure that uh, Canadians have choice and competition. And you're absolutely right. The most concerning element in this bill is the use of algorithmic manipulation. And we've had the minister, the government, both over at the House when they were doing the review of the bill, and now it's before the Senate Standing Committee on Transport and Communication, and they swear up and down in the sponsor of the bill that there will be no algorithmic manipulation, there will be no attempt to, to, um, to manage and curtail user-generated content, and so on and so forth. But after they, they ripped their shirts in indignation when we accused them of maybe being manipulative about that, we had the chair of the CRTC come before in our committee and says, no, there's nowhere in the law that you know, gives me the power to control algorithmic manipulation, but I can force it upon platforms. So clearly, if the chair of the CRTC 
uh, is of that view. That in itself raises another red flag. And of course, those of us that do believe uh, that what people watch should be their choice and there should be consumer competition and so on and so forth, we simply say, let's amend the bill to make sure loud and clear that the CRTC, Heritage Canada, and no other big brother can determine uh, what is prioritized and what isn't. I don't understand why our government seems to think that Canadians can't make their own choices when it comes to cultural content. I, I agree. I, I think um, it, it is infantilizing to me to, to, to have to, like the Canadian content requirements. Does any other Western nation do this? No, absolutely not. Uh, the UK, the US, uh, at least our, our G7 partners, uh, none of them feel compelled to try to uh, to curtail uh, freedom of speech on these new digital streaming platforms whatsoever. Uh, on the contrary, uh, some of our partners like the UK, the United States, uh, sure, in Europe, they're a little bit more, they create uh, parameters, but nowhere near as narrow as C-11 has been. And it's not just um, politicians or conservatives that are railing against this bill. I, I don't really consider Michael Geist to be a, you know, a staunch conservative person, but he is a expert on internet policy and law. Uh, and he is one of the people that I, I look to, 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 to sort of see where his opinions are on, on stuff like this, because I feel like he has um, a, a grasp and he's not, I, I, you know, like I would consider him if I were to, if there was a gun to my head, I'd say he was a progressive. I would say you're obviously you're a conservative. So there is an, the, the interesting thing is that there's an overlap here of ideologies that are coming together and saying, I mean, both sides are kind of saying, this bill is not really good for anybody. Why well, aren't we able to take advantage of that bipartisanship? Look, uh, I might not be, uh, you know, I might, I'm definitely a conservative, but I'm also somebody that believes in freedom. I believe in freedom of expression. I believe in people's right to choose. Uh, and it's uh, interesting. You're absolutely right. Most of the witnesses that have come before our committee on this bill, they don't look like what the traditional conservative party has looked like, but they all defend the principles and values that I just highlighted. Uh, and on the other side of the equation, we have a liberal government that prides itself on being progressive and globalist and all the rest of it. And yet they're siding with the legacy media, the gatekeepers, the big brothers, uh, who are clearly concerned about maintaining the status quo. Uh, and it's for them, it's not about Canadian content or just algorithms or user-generated content. It's about who they want to be able to control the size of the pie and who gets what. And the sad reality in all of this, that since the invention of all these digital platforms, streaming and so on and so forth, things that you're right, an old guy like me has only come to uh, become familiar with only in the last little while, Canadian culture has never been more robust, more vibrant, has had greater opportunities. We see our film industry in Canada, our actors, our writers, our, our directors, they're busier than ever. And yet we seem to take exception of it because the money's not coming from Telefilm Canada or from CBC or from uh, Heritage Canada. It's actually coming from foreign investors. So if a foreign investor from Europe or Los Angeles wants to come and invest in a Canadian story, a Canadian writer, Canadian directors, Canadian actors, and shoot the film, a Canadian story in Toronto or in Montreal, the fact that the owner of the project, the investor, the person that believed to put his capital behind all these Canadian artists is not Canadian, then the product is not CanCon. I know. That's, That's another ludicrous 
uh, situation, an outdated view of, the, of, of dealing with broadcasting that has to, to be evaluated and reformed. At the end of the day, I believe as a conservative, as a progressive, because I, I, I deserve that title now, because I'm the one actually fighting for freedom of speech and choice yeah. and liberty and for the, right. you know, the guy fighting to make a living as an independent content producer. I'm saying, hey, we need to attract as much capital. I don't care if it's coming from uh, Switzerland or Los Angeles or London to get our Canadian actors and, and, and producers and directors working. And that creates and generates wealth and interest. And it also reaches out to an audience around the world, which brings attention to a small country. I know we think we're large and we are in size, but in the mindset of, of people around the world, because of these new platforms, people are discovering Banff, Alberta, and they're discovering Quebec, the beauty of Quebec City and the beauty of Atlantic Canada. And as a result, also, we're attracting more tourists than we ever have because of these particular tools at our disposal. Is one of the problems the idea that, um, like, we have our, uh, I would say, a, a very generous grant system and tax credit system in Canada? And I'm wondering, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, from recall, remember what uh, something that Dr. Guy said to me a couple months ago about how um, they, the government wants these um, foreign entities like Netflix and YouTube to, quote, pay their fair share. Aren't they already contributing like $2 billion to our economy? And why can't we earmark that money for these grant programs? Why does it have to go above and beyond what they're already contributing economically? Well, that's the good question. And, and they themselves asked that question before our committee. And that's why I keep advocating at the end of the day, we should let the marketplace determine the winners and the losers. And my sense as a former person, uh, entrepreneur and someone who was in business, if something's making money for me in an area, I go and reinvest in it. It's a reflex, right? If you got a good thing going, you put more and more money into it. But no, we have a piece of legislation. Only government will come up with a theory. We have a good thing going here. It's creating jobs. It's creating revenue. It's creating growth. It's getting eyeballs. But we, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that we deflect you over to this side. Because we, in some committee in the Senate or the House of Commons, have determined what culture, what songs, what music, what shows... Canadians must listen to. Yeah, that's, um, I've always been uh, sort of perplexed by this idea that um, we don't know what to watch or what we want to watch and we need to be conditioned into into watching certain things. That, that always sort of bothered me. And this notion that in Canada, um, we have a, uh, we, we have a system that took the internet and the best things about the internet are being now sort of taken away from us with this bill. It was the openness of the internet that we liked. When I think of uh, uh, cable television versus the internet, I don't think that the internet needs to start adapting the ways of the legacy media outlets with commercials and censorship and all that kind of stuff. I think that- the way the, around. The Yes, way around. The, the, the cable- con it's amazing to me, and I don't. I know you're a senator, and I, I want to be as respectful as I can. But it's amazing to me that I can say the word shit on my podcast. But if I said it on CTV, there'd be fines levied. Like, you know, which system is better? I, I would, I would argue that the internet is clearly an evolution of cable, and they want to take us backwards. And um, I know that you've been sitting in committee and listening to witnesses. One witness that may have surprised you surprised me. Wendy Noss of the Motion Picture Motion Pictures. Association of Canada, I believe that's right, um, had this to say, and this is interesting because 
as uh, as sort of a big player, I thought maybe she would have been on the other side of this, but I was kind of surprised to hear this. So let's just hear what she had to say. Just to put this into context, the ideas around consumer interest being taken into account at the CRTC are already in place in respect of telecom by virtue of a policy direction. So as you know, um, updating uh, the Broadcasting Act or the Telecommunications Act doesn't take place very often. And so in order for it, to ensure that the CRTC was taking into account consumer perspectives in making telecom policy, there is a policy direction that requires the CRTC to take into account, and that is where, to be honest with you, Senator Simons, a lot of this language comes from, consumer choice, market forces, competition. Directing the CRTC to take those into account when it is making policy on the telecom side. We think the CRTC should equally take those factors into account when making policy on the broadcasting side. This legislation is so important and can provide so many benefits to Canadian consumers and the Canadian creative community, but there is nowhere else in the legislation that speaks to the interest of market forces, competition, and consumer choice. And I heard your speech in the, in the, in the Senate early on where you talked about the impact and the importance of having smaller niche thematic services available in third languages um, or, or, or the idea that competition is good for the system. And so that is what this amendment is designed to address. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Can you speak to what specifically what amendment she was referring to and, and whether or not you agree with what she just said? Oh, I totally, I totally agree. And, uh, and earlier in what I was stating, uh, it's for me, it's all about giving consumers the right to choose and allowing market forces to dictate uh, what goes to the front of the queue and what doesn't. And we've been living in a culture here for about 50 years when it comes to broadcasting driven by the CRTC, Heritage Canada, and a bunch of politicians that are always in this reflex of trying to protect Canadian culture as if if we put Canadian culture forward, no one's going to choose to look at it, to promote it, to buy it, to, 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 to embrace it. And that's not what I see right now when it comes from streamers and from modern broadcasters. So I, I, that's what she's referring to. And, and again, her concern is the CRTC has a long tradition when it comes to independent content generators. Uh, they're, they're sort of pushed aside and... There's, they lean a lot more favorably to those that can afford big lobbyists that have big budgets. Uh, and this is a question of uh, big giants making sure that those independent uh, forces in arts and culture that are using platforms to 
to, to, to chip away at their pie uh, get put in their place by legislation. That's my interpretation. Yeah, I'm so pro-podcast that it bothers me when TV shows just like upload it onto and call it a podcast. That bothers me. I think they're double dipping in the creative pool, but we'll let that go for now. The um, Just to play devil's advocate a little bit here, when when these bills first started popping up, there was Bill C-10, if I recall, and that died uh, because I think we prorogued or an election was called, I think. And the other thing was, um, was it Bill C-18? All of these things that nibble around the edges of censorship, and then some of them actually seem to outright call for censorship. Where is where is your mind when it comes to how to deal with disinformation? Not the subjective kind where it's a based on opinion, but but actually factually misleading information. Is there a remedy for that, or is it the classic sort of example that bad ideas need to be fought by good ideas? Bad ideas absolutely need to be fought by good ideas. I have faith in people's judgment. Uh, there's no doubt that when you go out uh, today, there's a plethora of information and you have to analyze, question, um, listen to competing ideas and points of views. Uh, and, and in the end, logic will always win out. I'm, I'm optimistic when you lose faith in people's capacity to judge. Uh, then as a society, we, we fall to pieces. Uh, this is a government, and you're right, C-18 is in the queue right now, and that is a, a, a bill that is, is even more dangerous than C-11 is. I don't believe that we should ever allow the rights of politicians to determine what is hate speech, what isn't, what is allowable as free speech, and, and what is not admissible as free speech. The moment a group of politicians and anybody in government that engages in that exercise you're not fighting disinformation. You are proactively uh, going to have a, an innate reflex to spread misinformation and try to shut down your opponents. We've seen it now with Bill C-11. It was a circus over in the House of Commons. I've never seen before a House committee have even secret amendment debates and discussions. Uh, I've never seen a, a parliamentary committee go out of its way to not allow certain witnesses to go before the committee. Now, in the last few days, there's information that uh, a couple of witnesses that we know of at least have been intimidated and bullied by a couple of members of parliament representing the governing side. Um, it, it's, it's deeply concerning to what lengths this Trudeau government is going to support legacy broadcasters and to try to squash any kind of opposition and debate, because at the end of the day, as as parliamentarians, what we need to make sure is that we have a wholesome, robust debate on such a complex issue. And you see, we've spent now already close to half an hour on this particular issue. It's not an easy issue for people to dissect and you're in the business. And I've been looking at this for a number of months, but every time I've spoken to Canadians, they start scraping the surface of Bill C-11 and C-18 and, and look at the reflex of the Trudeau government when it comes to debating issues that, that touch uh, our digital platforms. Uh, they like to use it for their own uh, benefit when it comes to pushing out their narrative, but they're always trying to find some angle to curtail the opposing point of view. And all I'm saying is let's allow for all the points of views to be debated in, in a wholesome fashion. Yeah, I mean, we just came out of an era where vaccines for one group of people was saving lives and for another people it was killing people. 
And so if, if we were to take a look at that problem and sort of crystallize that, I, I guess I'm not asking if we can legislate our way to, to some sort of solution where one thing can have a set of facts for two sets of people. You know, uh, the either either the vac either a vaccine is effective or is not. I'm, I'm certainly not trying to pivot into COVID. I'm just using that uh, that issue as the example of how to make it so that disinformation doesn't actually harm society. Um, the whole shouting fire in a crowded theater in a digital sense. Is there an argument for somehow dealing with that so that we are able to, if we're dealing with like a health crisis or if we're at a time of war? for example, and there is seriously like one side that's spreading disinformation during wartime, like, what would be the limit, do you think, where uh, someone like yourself could support some sort of, you know, I, I, hate, I know you hate, you probably hate the word regulation, but some sort of way of dealing, some tools to deal with obvious disinformation attempts? Look, socialists uh, always agree in freedom for freedom of speech as long as you're embracing their socialism. Uh, and to your and to the discussion regarding um, uh, the COVID debate, look, that's a perfect example where we had a government that wanted to create an us versus them mentality. Classic wedge issue. Prime Minister's office sees 75% of Canadians are vaccinated, 25% of Canadians don't want to be. Fantastic. They're going to be my scapegoat. I'm going to bring them here, whip them, and keep whipping them until I win a majority election. Well... Thank God we had a, a robust debate. Conservatives stood up and we stood steadfast, even though there were uh, endless amounts of attempts to demonize that 25% by bureaucrats, by the government, by even some in the left-wing uh, media in this country. But common sense prevailed. And as we've seen over the last few months, even those of us that are advocates for vaccines, myself included, have come to the realization that there's not a question of, of heroes and demons. If somebody is not comfortable in receiving a medical procedure like a vaccine, they should have the right to exercise that freedom. And those of us that think vaccines mitigate the illness should have the right to have that vaccine. And today you'll take polls here as a, as a politician in Ottawa, and the vast majority of Canadians are of the view that choice should win out. We got to that point by having a, an open and free debate. Same thing with the di digital discussion right now. The government cannot be using the CRTC or potentially the way they can with a bill that has as many holes as C-11 does in order to impose algorithm manipulation on certain platforms that will force Canadians to watch or not be able to download certain content. That is critical. I would agree with you that uh, the Trudeau government is divisive. But it's always harder to take a look at the divisiveness on our own side, I think, sometimes. Because Pierre Polyev is a pretty divisive guy. And he always sort of has been, wouldn't you say? Or at least he's super partisan. No, what I would say is that the media uh, tries to portray him as being divisive. Really? Uh, Trumpian, radical. Uh, the Pierre Polyev I've known for decades, and I had the privilege of working very closely with him during this leadership campaign, is very positive, very happy. I can send you uh, some clips, Senator, if you want to. Sure, sure. Look, don't misinterpret combative yeah. uh, with being an extremist. Right. I'll tell you this. Uh, he has stood up for people's right to choose when it comes to blockades, when it comes to vaccines, when it comes to defending uh, independent user content producers in this country. The reason why Pierre Polyev right now is drawing so much support 
from such a young demographic of Canadians that you're right, traditionally have not been conservative. They don't look like us traditional conservative guys look like, is in large part because he's standing up for certain liberties and choice uh, that they are, this constituency feels betrayed by that progressive political wing. I see it before my committee. I saw it during the leadership race, thousands of people who have don't consider themselves conservatives. They call themselves progressives coming out and saying, this guy's defending choice. He's defending freedom. Sometimes is he combative with the left-wing media? And of course, uh, they, they, uh, they bring the worst potentially out of him. Uh, possibly, I think they bring the best out of him because he has the yeah. courage to push back. Or he's making choices and he's just doing it on his own, right? Like he's, he's a leader. What you see is what you always get with Pierre. He's authentic. He's honest. Uh, and he's consistent. I always thought that he was pretty good in in question period. Um, when he was uh, when he was like Harper's pit bull, I, I actually thought he did a good job. Um, <clears throat> I just this just popped into my head. Don't you kind of think everybody should treat question period the way Tom Mulcair did during the Senate scandal? I, I feel like when when I introduce people to politics and I'm like, go watch question period, they always come back to me and they start like giving me a hard time and I start laughing at them because uh, I tricked them into watching something James, that was completely James, useless. My opinion about how Thomas Mulcair treated question periods irrelevant because the Canadian people clearly didn't think he treated it very well because they showed him the door in, in enormous <laughs> in, with enormous with an enormous result that was uh, yeah. a repudiation of how he treated question period and everything else. So like six people watched question period that's even that's during the politician that Canadians actually embraced and talk about. But James, I gotta run off to yeah, I know you do. two minutes. Let me a quick question yeah, for please. you is uh, Tony Di, Di Fiori, are you related to him? And Ralph, um, I'm probably related to a couple of Tony DeFiori's. I, I was told that he might be a cousin or something because um, my family comes out of old Montreal and apparently his does too. Uh, so then you must be a pretty good hockey player because Tony and Ralph can't are very skate. good hockey players. I can't so. skate. I'm a rapper and I like baseball. So I'm totally not living the old Montreal dream. Well, God bless you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. I hope you come back. Um, I, I really appreciate the time that you took. Pleasure. Thank okay. you. Be well. Thank you, okay. Senator. That's Senator Leo Husakos. Um, I wasn't intending to get into the more conservative uh, progressive stuff at the end, but you know what? I, I like him. Um, I, I like talking to him. We might not agree on everything, but he speaks his mind. Um, I disagree with him on Pierre Polyev, but you know, that's, that's life. Um, I want to be able to talk to anybody on my show. And uh, I think the Senator uh, did a good job tonight, at least expanding on the Bill C-11 stuff. I did fail to tell him that the, uh, the, the, the quote that I, I said about how, uh, and I think it's just an old about uh, bad ideas being fought by good ideas. I didn't have the heart to tell him that that's what Noam Chomsky said on Blackballed um, about six months ago. So um, he agreed with the socialist at the end of the day. But that's actually the most important part of this um, this bill uh, that that I think I mentioned to to Senator Husakos was that the bill provides opportunity for bipartisanship because you have people like. Uh, Senator Husakos, and you have people like Dr. Michael Geis, who, by the way, will be on Blackballed on Thursday. I have a double header on Thursday. I have Dr. Michael Geis at 7 p.m., and I have uh, urban warfare expert John Spencer on at 10.30. But when you have people like Senator Husakos and Dr. Michael Geis uh, agreeing on something, and something that is so important, and uh, the senator was right when he said it, it is bizarre seeing um, someone with Trudeau's progressive bona fides propping up legacy media outlets and making it seem like 
it's still a progressive thing to do and it and it and it's absolutely not he, he he's trying to sort of play both sides of the fence here and um i think this bill is hugely important and senator husakos also pointed out bill c18 which uh as he said not only nibbles around the edges of censorship uh and internet uh internet censorship but also you know flat out invades it um especially user generated content uh when it comes to to freedom of speech so um on that note um if anybody watched the <laughs> the dean blundell show uh yesterday we're tinkering with a couple of ideas here on blackballed i'm not gonna I, i'm gonna apropos of nothing i'm not going to say why i'm i'm putting these up but you know there's that one um for those listening uh, i i i popped into the <laughs> to the dean blundell show yesterday uh when um when my former colleague lachlan cross was uh in a in a very impressive rant about why we can't be friends and on how many places he's blocked me and then when he just as he said that i was out of his life i popped in so uh, a, a watcher of the show um a friend of the show um uh, i asked him if he, if he could make something to sort of show a james versus Lockman thing so we have a couple of ideas you know we're it's so funny the image exists and then the concept that i would like to build around the image it doesn't exist but i'm pretty sure that Lockman doesn't watch the show so I feel like I can bounce these ideas off of the people, <laughs> the people that do watch the show um, and, and see what your thoughts are on, uh, on, on this. Let's see. Salty Lock, Debate Club. Who, who's going to go do Big Club? Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I want to do with all this newfound dopamine in my system from what happened yesterday. Um but it was lovely. It was just as I imagined it <clears throat> while masturbating. No, I'm just kidding about that. But uh, no, it was just how I, <laughs> when, you, when you have like a friendly rivalry with, with somebody, and I think it's friendly, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm pretty sure he legit just dislikes me. And um, I'm okay with that because I've learned how to laugh at it. And also we had never met, so it wasn't really like heartbreaking. It wasn't a heartbreaking loss. But I'm the kind of guy, someone told me this the other day, that I like broken things. And I think that's true. And I think that's because I'm mirroring myself uh, when I see someone who's broken. Um, someone like, you know, someone like Mike Bullard, who, who, who um, you know, publicly has been kind of broken over the last little while. And I still like him. In fact, Mike and I had a makeup call the other day. And I like that. I, I like having broken people in my life. Because sometimes I'm broken and I want to be in other people's lives. But I'm pretty cool with Lachlan and I not being friends as long as I can laugh at something. And so yesterday was awesome. And so uh, I, I, would, I would just have like an argue show with Lachlan once a month. Like a one-hour show where maybe we get Dean or Brian or someone to, to like moderate. And, and we just like bicker at each other. Because the thing is, and I'm not sure if Lachlan's aware of this or not. Or I'm not even sure if viewers are aware of this or not. Lachlan and I... I think probably agree on more like with each other than I do with Dean or Ryan. Dean or Ryan seem a little bit too hardcore left for me. I don't mean like they're hardcore lefties, but like definitely more left than me and stridently so. And that's totally fine because they're both smart dudes and funny as fuck. Um, and Lachlan, I think is a little bit more moderate. I think I'm more on, I think Lachlan and I have more in common politically. I don't know um, what I want to do, but I would like to be able to find a way 
to laugh at what's happened to our relationship and to like produce good content because I think you guys really liked it. So um, if anyone can uh, hijack this, this, uh, this sentiment that I'm trying to convey right now, I'm doing a rather unlettered job of it. Um, you know, let's see if we can get Lachlan and I in the same arena and, uh, and make this relevant somehow, or this, I don't know which one is better. This one, I was, I was annoyed with the brightness level of Lachlan's face because it looked like I was trying to be like, yeah, I win. Which, by the way, I would totally win, whatever it is, unless it's a drinking contest because I don't drink. Um, but, um, yeah, I imagined uh, also like a, a head-to-head thing, like boxers, like, like this, you know, nose-to-nose. And then uh, I have a little body and it's like this wrapper. You can tell that it's a wrapper. And then he has this little body and it's in like a yoga position he does these daily yoga posts that are like so cool and then he'll make fun of vegans like an hour later it's weird but anyways um my big thanks to senator leo husakos senator leo husakos um and uh jackie button for making it possible and we will see you tomorrow on blackballed when the true north eager beaver co-host paul atkinson will be here uh so until then we'll see you next time on blackballed thank you very much I'm Matt Cundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.